One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone. I'm well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family. From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units: The Shadow Files. Hello, and welcome to Loose Units: The Shadow Files. Now, listeners, as you will know, Dad、uh, John Verhoeven used to be a cop in the 1980s in Sydney. And Dad and I often talk about how different policing is now to how it was then. There's obviously lots of common DNA between the two. It's it's essentially the same job in many ways, but in many ways it's extremely different. Case in point, yesterday Dad got in touch and said, "Hey, I've read a really interesting story about this fascinating young police officer from back in the '40s. I'd like to talk about it on on、uh, on the show." On loose units, the shadow files, and he wouldn't tell me any more. But he said it's a really interesting story. So, Dad, would you like to regale us with the story of a police officer who you told me his name was William Joseph Cable? And bear in mind, listeners, I have no idea where this is going. Paul, when you don't know where things are going,、mm-hmm. it's always a very good start. Because, <laughs>、uh, yeah, yeah, I like it, and it、yeah. means that the、uh, you can come along on a journey mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of.、Uh, Mystery and imagination. Although、Ooh. this is this is factual, of course. But I thought where we could start is that it was just after、mm-hmm. the Second World War, and not a lot of people know that Sydney Harbour、mm-hmm. was actually、uh, attacked by Japanese midget submarines. Did you know that? Is this is this true, Paul? Yeah, you can go to the magnificent War Memorial、uh-huh. in Canberra, and they've got one of the submarines. Wow! In situ, one of them was actually found in Sydney Harbour, and it was brought to the surface back in the nineteen fifties,、mm-hmm. and it was on permanent display. As sort of a,、uh, you know, something fascinating for people visiting Manly to see, it was actually on display in Manly, one of、right. the Japanese 
midget submarines. I guess it's one huh. of the only times you can you can use the word midget and not feel bad about it because that's what they were called. They were called midget submarines. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, if you go along the the Sydney the cliff tops, uh, particularly in the eastern suburbs and Mossman, you will find incredible remnants of the Second World War in terms of fortresses and big guns that were specifically set up because we believed we were being invaded. And in fact, Darwin was bombed very heavily in the Second World War Mm -hmm. by the Japanese. What does all this have to do with this story? Well, Paul, we you may recall Melissa Caddock. She lived in a suburb called Dover Heights. Now, these suburbs in the eastern suburbs, listeners, Dover Heights, Vaucluse. In fact, Paul, a friend of yours, was born in Vaucluse, and, and he. Oh, Josh, my best man. Yeah, mm. love him, love him to death. But what what can you tell me based on your limited knowledge, Paul? In terms of, would you regard these suburbs as? as very expensive? If I was to use a John Verhoeven word, I would say they were salubrious. I mean, Mm. really very moneyed up, extremely scenic. Somebody was recently trying to tell me, uh, because there's a really big... Is it a real rivalry or not between Melbourne and Sydney and people saying, yeah, but you know, Sydney's only Sydney because it's got the harbour, to which you can very safely say, yeah, but it's got the harbour. I mean, those suburbs really do kind of hug some of the most beautiful areas in Australia. It's 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 incredible, I, and it, and it's mm. extremely expensive as well. Very yes. very expensive. Yep. Okay, so there was see this the thing when I read this story is that um, this police officer who was in his mid twenties, yeah, he he lived in Dover Heights and he owned the house. So that's difficult to reconcile looking at the real estate back then in terms of today's prices Mm -hmm. but it comes back to the fact that these Japanese midget submarines made it into Sydney Harbour. Can you guess what that did to the price of real estate in all these incredible areas? Hang on, are you saying that because of the apparent possible threat of being hit by a submarine, real estate in those areas got momentarily cheaper? Correct. Very, very (laughs) affordable. So, okay, so this police officer, because, look, I don't know how much police officers get paid or got paid back in the 40s post-war. I'm assuming it was not a lot, but did he have, I mean, was he living in a little one-bedroom? Was it a full house? Did he have a family? Like, what what was his living arrangement like? He, like me, Uh joined the New South Wales Police Force Yeah. at the age of 21. Okay, so another very young man joining the police force. Did he... Oh, he that's interesting. He, he lived in a, a a proper single attached dwelling. Yeah, okay. In one of the most expensive suburbs now in Australia. Mm-hmm. He owned the house outright. Yep. And he also, um, in terms of gaining financial assistance, he worked for his father-in-law who had a sort of a hardware store, which is okay. very relevant to what unfolds in this story. Our young police officer, William, he, by the time this sort of story fully develops to a crescendo, he'd been in the uh, New South Wales Police Force for 10 years. 
Okay. So he, he joined when he was 21. Yeah. And in his very, very early 30s, mm-hmm. his life um, began to unravel. How was his marriage, by the way? Because, I mean, he, he obviously he had kids. They owned a house. The father-in-law was providing money and work and stuff like that. I, mm. I mean, did did uh, Cable... Let's call him Cable, actually. Yeah. Well, that's that's did, very good, Paul, that you've called it Cable because the, I think it's really interesting. The thing that really caught my eye initially was the title of this particular story. It's called gotcha. The Cable Murder Case. And, of course, when, when... And that's hopefully what we will call it when it comes out tomorrow morning. Because yeah, okay. it, it, it draws you in. Because who is not going to think that, mm. you know, obviously a cable, be it wire, um, rope, that was instrumental mm. in the murder. But it turns yeah. out that it's actually the, the police officer's surname, which I think is yes, uh, interesting. That, was, that, was a, that, that is a little confusing. But uh, I'd just like to kind of try and figure out, so... You and mum had a really interesting time because obviously she was on the police force. You met her on the police force, which meant mm. she had a tacit understanding of the demands of shift work and of working in the emergency services. Mm. Now, I'm guessing that Mrs. Cable, I, I mean, it's the 40s. Does, did she work or was she a housewife? And if she was a housewife, how did she deal with the fact that Cable spent so much time away from home uh, at work? I mean, was she... Was she happy in the marriage? I look to her friends and family, her neighbours. Yeah. Mm. She was described with having a disposition that was so effervescent. She was so friendly. She was so lovely that people used to actually go to her just to be with her because her goodness, as neighbours have described, would rub off on them. So okay. if people were feeling a little bit down and they wanted a bit of a pick-me-up, they would go and see Cable's wife. And so on the surface, things were great. And there are times during the investigation that happens fairly soon in the story Mm -hmm. that it was very apparent that, in fact, Cable said that they had never, ever had an argument, which is not impossible to believe. But it all sort of starts to unravel when it's believed that William is, well, there's a reason behind what happens. So if we can go to the night. Yes, walk, um, me, through this, walk me through the timeline. <clears throat> We've set it up nicely. I, clearly the wheels are about to fall off on some level. Uh, please walk us through the timeline of whatever is about to happen. Mm. So okay. one evening, mm-hmm. um, basically, so the story goes like this, that around about 11pm, Cable says that his wife um, experienced some pain. They'd been to her parents' house in Pennant Hills that afternoon. Mm-hmm. It was a, um, a Sunday afternoon. And it was so, just to be, be clear, it was the 22nd of September, 1946. So Cable drives the wife and children to his wife's parents. Mm-hmm. And 
they were actually going to visit a koala sanctuary. That, listeners, is still there to this very day. But the, that particular uh, establishment was closed. So they then, weirdly, went to another suburb nearby to visit an employee of Mr Phillips. Now, Mr Phillips is Cable's father-in-law. And they checked out the garden, had afternoon tea... And it's then that Mrs. Cable, the, the young wife, yeah. she suffered two acute attacks of stomach pain. Okay? And they were almost to the verge of having a seizure. So then Mr. Cable takes his wife home yep. to the eastern suburbs. And that's when things get interesting. Now, it's on that night that his wife passed away. There are conflicting stories because firstly he goes over to one of the neighbours who had been a nurse yep. and he... And I'm not sure what the situation was back in the 1940s. I'm feeling already that you would think it would be normal procedure to call an ambulance. I mean, all houses had... Telephones. It's not. A, I'd, I'd like to do perhaps a little bit of research after this story and find out what were procedures. You know, did they have a triple O service? I guess we can easily find out when that was introduced. But he goes to a neighbour, and when he's walking back to the house with the neighbour, he explains to her that his wife had been suffering, and she had been found ostensibly deceased in the kitchen and weirdly he then carried her yeah. into their bedroom, placed her in bed. The nurse, ex-nurse comes over and realises and, and agrees and says, look, she is deceased. Then a neighbour on the other side of the house comes over yeah. and Cable gives a slightly different version, fairly subtly different, to this particular second person and then the neighbour who had been a nurse calls a doctor and at 1.15am a doctor comes to the house. Now mm -hmm. listeners, that in itself is unusual because can you imagine a doctor coming to your private home on a house call today? No. No, the, I mean, I do have to try and attribute certain things like that to maybe it was a different era i'm not sure but it, it, it if, was you're very right was there any anything if the wife has just passed away mm. uh you know i mean what does she have any conditions which might explain that what is the husband saying has happened what what is the assertion here he maintains that the yeah. wife had a stomach condition and when the family doctor comes over uh -huh. and Cable says, look, she's had this problem with her stomach. Yeah. And then he, the, the doctor, interestingly says to Cable, I don't know about that. I've been treating her. She's never, ever mentioned this problem that you're talking about that you say she's been suffering for years. And sensibly, mm -hmm. prudently, the doctor 
refused to issue a certificate as to the cause of death. Now, it okay. could have been that mm-hmm. that night, that morning, early morning, the doctor yeah. had have come in. He's tired. It's a house call. He knows the family. He could easily have written a certificate as to the cause of death. And Paul, based on your previous knowledge, Mm -hmm. if a certificate is issued as to the cause of death, what does not have to happen? Autopsy. Correct. Post-mortem. That's right. And that is what the prosecution down the track Uh believe uh, was one of his motives. He He was counting on the doctor issuing a certificate. And so it would have, it would, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so here we go. The cat's out of the bag. It is now possible that Cable has murdered his wife. Now, what condition did he say she had that could have been the cause of death or could have been kind of in that, in that area? Did he say what she had? Did she have, I mean... The husband? Yeah. Yes, what did you describe it as? Gastritis. Gastritis. Okay, I don't know kept... what that is, but um, gastro means stomach, I assume. Stomach, so, okay. stomach so, problem. Right. Uh, so, okay, is he saying it's food poisoning? Is he saying it's like a congenital thing? Because if the family doctor rocks up and goes, no, that's not that's not a thing, that's very hmm. interesting. But but, okay. but then what happens, Paul? Yeah. yeah the yeah. doctor goes home. And what do you think mm-hmm. the doctor does? Calls the cops? Calls the police. <laughs> okay. Okay. And calls the cops on another cop, which is a really interesting thing to happen. Okay. Right, so so what the police, then? the police rock up, yep, and they start talking to Cable, mm-hmm. and the story they get from Cable is that um, it's it's so complex and sort of contradictory, yeah, because he's giving various versions now. On the point of various versions, there are plausible reasons mm-hmm. for giving different stories. Yeah, okay. Extreme trauma, shock, sadness, shame. The shame thing's interesting because what he says to the police is that his wife was in bed. Mm-hmm. He took her some medication, brought it into her while she was in bed. Was this for her stomach pain or just for something else? No, just for the stomach pain. Uh, Okay, okay. And apparently she was in a pretty bad way, according to him. Yeah. He delivers the medication Mm -hmm. and she passes away in bed. That's one story. Another story he gave was that she was in bed. He was asked by her to go and find the water bottle, yeah, hot water bottle. And he goes into the kitchen. He can't find it. He comes back and says, I can't find the water bottle. She, according to him, then goes out into the kitchen to yeah. retrieve the water bottle. Okay. He stays in the bedroom. He uh-huh. hears her scream. He runs into the kitchen. She's the lying kitchen. on the floor. Right. Dead. So wait, that in that version of the story, he would have to get the body back, put it on the bed, ah, and then call the That's neighbor. exactly what he did. He then Weird. carries the body uh-huh. back and puts it into bed. But yep. this will become. Look, it's a, it's. It depends on what who you believe and what you believe, and there's so many different things happening here. 
So many different stories. Every time he tells a story to one neighbor, to the second neighbor, to the first lot of police, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's continually changing his version. But okay. it is known factually that he did get her somehow or other back into bed. Okay. Which is important because, I mean, it's such an interesting case, Paul. The thing that really grabbed me about this case that I don't want to sort of get to too quickly was something of all the crimes I've ever read about in my entire life. Yeah. There's something about this particular case that is so extraordinary, so unbelievable, so fascinating, so sad, so bizarre. So when the general duties police, they were from Vaucluse Police Station, mm-hmm. when they came and saw the scene in the kitchen, yeah. they noticed there was a saucepan in the sink with a milky yep. fluid. Hot there chocolate were, or something? Like a yes, kind of... sort of some something to make, you know, like an e- evening uh, sort of drink before you go to bed. There yep. were a couple of glasses. Mm-hmm. And there's a notepad on the kitchen table. Okay. The sergeant picks up the notepad. Yeah. And underneath the notepad uh-huh. is a letter, is a note. And before the sergeant can say anything, Cable reads the note. It's a very, very short note. Okay. And what the note is, mm-hmm. is a suicide note. Oh, so hang on. If he's telling the truth about the second version of events, then she could have gone to the kitchen, I presumably poisoned herself, written a note, and then collapsed, right? But why would she put it under the note? I'm sorry, I'm I'm interrupting you midstream. No, it's great. Ve- it's getting very interesting. Okay, go on, go on. So... Paul, what you said then is rings true, but I would maintain mm-hmm. that the note was written sometime prior to her taking the well, taking something or other, which we'll come to in a moment. Okay. But then one has to ask I mean his version one of his versions is that she's gone out into the kitchen, mm-hmm. she sat down but get ready for this. Here's a fact that is not um, not denied by Cable. Is that earlier on that night, mm-hmm. his wife, and this sounds like something out of a sort of a, a 1940s, you know, crime paperback. Yeah. She she actually discovered lipstick on his handkerchief. She did not. She did. And she, she can... True. She found lipstick on his handkerchief. Uh-huh. And she confronted him about that. Yeah. Now, that's important. Because that enables Cable to plant the seed that she did, in fact, take her own life. And his reasoning is that she was so distressed... But, of course, the prosecution will counter that argument by saying, yes, uh, she found out you were having an affair, Mm -hmm. and that's why you killed her. 
Okay. The police, the general duties police, there's a sergeant and a constable. It's, it's, it's late. They're on the night shift. I know what it's like to be doing these sorts of investigations on the night shift. It's, you're a bit fuzzy. They say to Cable, because there's a suicide note now, then they say, but is there anything in this kitchen that, you know, could indicate a method? Right, and one, so and, she's, and, if she's popped in there to do something the, to yeah. kill herself, is there anything here that correct help? Okay. And there's nothing on the table. There's no mm-hmm. sign. There's, there's there's some, you know, some cups, some saucepan in the in the sink, and the young constable mm-hmm. starts rifling through one of the kitchen cupboards, and prior to the constable finding anything. Cable says, oh, uh, actually, yes, um, yes, I believe there might be something in that cupboard that, you know, basically she could have used. And ah. the constable takes out a small tin mm-hmm. labelled strychnine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which is incredibly, unbelievably potent. Now, what possible use could there be for strychnine being in a kitchen cabinet beyond it being there for uh, something nefarious? And that's a serious question. It's a great question. And as will be revealed in this particular story, uh-huh. one of the greatest uses for strychnine back in the 1940s mm-hmm. was to kill rabbits. Uh, rabbits were a pest at that point, weren't they? Is Incredible pest. Or? But you could get yeah. money for their pelts. You and couldn't eat one that had been. You couldn't eat a rabbit that had been poisoned with strychnine, obviously, could you? No, but there were other chemicals that were available through department stores. We'll come to that shortly. So, Cable says mm-hmm. to the constable. So as as he brings this this tin yep. out onto the kitchen table, Cable says, "Oh, that's interesting. Oh, the seal's broken." He then says, "Yeah." that he was going to use the strychnine, 
mm-hmm. for for rabbit hunting. But it was brand new. He bought it brand new. And he'd hidden it in the kitchen where yeah. it would be safe. Mm-hmm. And it's clear, because he's standing in front of the two police officers when he says to them, the seal's broken. Clearly, the the inference is that my wife has found the tin, opened it, like broken the seal, and mm-hmm. taken taken some of the strychnine. Yep. Put it into a cup of water and consumed it at the table. Passed out, died. I've taken her back into the bedroom. When questioned as to why he took her back into the room. Anyway, look, I'll, I'll just say this, that the General Duties Police did the right thing. They called yeah, in. I, yep. Can yep. I just, can I quickly just read? So I've just looked up strychnine poisoning. Just because I want to kind of line this up with the assertion that she yelled in pain from the other room. Hmm. Strychnine poisoning can be fatal to humans and other animals and can occur by inhalation, swallowing, or absorption through eyes or mouth. It produces some of the most dramatic and painful symptoms of any known toxic reaction, making it quite noticeable and a common choice for assassinations and poison attacks. For this reason, strychnine poisoning is often portrayed in literature and films, such as the murder mysteries written by Agatha Christie. The probable lethal oral dose in humans is 1.5 to 2 milligrams. So that's that's only a couple of... That's like a... It's four that's not much. sweet F.A. So it says here, 10 to 20 minutes after exposure, the body's muscles begin to spasm, starting with the head and neck in the form of trismus and rhesus sardonicus. The spasms spread, etc., etc. That... It's a bad okay. way to go. Yeah, but also, did you catch that detail? 10 to 20 minutes after exposure. If she's mm. just nipped into the kitchen... Yeah, right? good point. The timeline doesn't make any fucking sense. Paul, God, you've, that's, can... that's very good what you've said, but that's great. But this is a very involved murder case. Yes, of course, of course. But, it was, ri- but, it, but it was written in yeah. the 40s, which is fascinating, in that they just didn't have that access to that sort of information so, yeah. so instantaneously as you've pointed out. And it was, yeah. that was never mentioned, that, that fascinating point about 20 minutes. But the fact is that some of the strychnine is missing mm-hmm. and the detectives are, are, are brought in, highly skilled detectives. Sure. And they question Cable at length. They take him back to the house. They then take him to Vaucluse Police Station and they're, they're, they're experienced detectives. They're detective sergeants. They've got this, you know, they've been in the game a long time. They, yeah. they have dealt with people that are telling lies. They're very clever. They ask the same question 20 times slightly differently. Problem for Cable was that he kept coming up with these different versions. And during a record of interview, yeah, he... The, the information is put to him very bluntly mm-hmm. and they say to him during a record of interview, did you know this particular woman? And he just says, no. Did you ever meet her in Bondi? No. Have you ever had this particular woman in your car? No. He just goes on and on and on. He denies it, denies it, denies it. Then one of the detective sergeants walks out of the room. Cable leans in closely to the other detective. Yeah. And says, I've got something to tell you. Can I tell you something in confidence? The detective says, if you tell me anything in confidence, 
I'm warning you, even though you think it's not part of the record of interview, it will be used against you in court. Okay. He confesses to knowing this woman and they don't say having an affair, but they use very sweet 1940s terminology like, I, I was friendly with her. Um, I was, you know, they use all these sort of these words that, that indicate strongly that they're having an affair. Mm-hmm. The detective, the other detective walks in and the detective that had stayed in the room says to his colleague, look, um, Cable has made certain admissions. Uh, I'd like you to, to hear them again. And then Cable tells both of them during the record of interview that, yes, he did know the woman, that he denied knowing. And this is a bit creepy, listeners. He actually went and saw his lover, let's call her his lover, who was married. He went and saw her the morning after the murder. Oh, okay? God, that's not good. Okay. And he saw her many times in the preceding weeks. Yep, okay. So that's quite important. So he is formally charged with the murder of his wife by way of strychnine poisoning. Mm-hmm. We need to come back to the suicide note. Paul and listeners, for me, this was so clever and scary what Cable did, that is that many, many months before this incident, Mm -hmm. he says he was sitting down at the kitchen table, he was writing various notes. His wife came in and said, what are you doing? And she sat with him. He explained to her that he was writing suicide notes to try and get a sense so that when he was working, he would yeah. be able to tell if a suicide note was real or not. He then hands a pen no. to his wife and gets her to pen a suicide note. Right, so it says, hey, hey, honey, just hypothetically, if you were to write a suicide note, how would that go exactly? Exactly. And ha- what was her reaction to this bizarre no, request? Paul, we don't, we, we don't know. But she did. She took the pen. Right. And she wrote a two-line... She may have written lots more. Because uh-huh. interestingly, when the police found the suicide note under the pad on the kitchen table that fateful night, yes, the top of the letter, the page, uh-huh. had clearly been torn. So there was something else. Had she sat and written lots of notes, had... They sat together, both writing suicide notes, just for training purposes. Or had he written the exact sentence and then had her write it below and yeah, then he ripped yeah. off his... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or did they finally come up with something that he felt was pertinent? Uh-huh. But this is when it gets interesting. Yeah. You have to ask yourself, why did he keep the note? And also... In relation to the strychnine, mm-hmm. he purchased the strychnine in full police uniform on duty with another police officer. And that's very important for the defence. Okay. Because they could argue yeah. that he wasn't hiding anything. He was, in fact, 
going to go rabbit hunting. Okay, so with was he going to go rabbit hunting with the police officer? So the two of them no. were get, getting supplies for no. their trip, or no? He was going to do it with a friend. Okay, okay. And they've interviewed the friend. The friend went, mm-hmm. went and gave evidence in court, and he did say, "Yes, we were going to go rabbit hunting because you'd get good money." And here's the thing, listeners: when cable goes to a department store called Grace Brothers which is now Myers in, in Australia. He was in full uniform. He wanted to sort of get the right poison, but the store said, look, we, you should use a different type of poison. It's not as effective, but then he was concerned, Cable was concerned that if the rabbit takes the bait and doesn't die, which is actually technically correct. What happens is the rabbit takes the bait, then goes into a burrow and dies. Well, that's useless if you're trying to get pelts. You want something that's incredibly quick acting. Yep. So, and he was asking questions at his father-in-law's shop. He'd be talking to people about, you know, how effective is strychnine. So the prosecution are obviously saying, yes, well, you wanted to find out how incredibly, you know, thorough it had and how sort of how it had worked really quickly, but the defence would say, yes, that's right. He was trying to figure out the best type of poison for rabbiting, and they do know that through the witness that they were in fact going to go rabbiting. But you have to sort of decide: do you believe Cable? Do you believe that innocently his wife found out that he was having an affair? She. In a, in a sad fit of remorse, yeah. went into the kitchen. Interestingly, she was also a prolific note-taker. Every single evening, one might even argue, perhaps I'm loath to say this, but perhaps she was slightly OCD, every single evening, historically, she would sit at the kitchen table and she would write a list of the things she was going to do the next day. And, you know, she, she sat there and filled out her list. Then, of course, Cable's story is that she came to bed. She was in a lot of distress. She'd already been in distress earlier that day. He goes into the kitchen. He gets some medicine for her, which the prosecution alleged was strychnine. The defence and the defence counsel were were given very, very strong... Um, they were sort of... The judge said that it was one of the best defence cases he'd ever heard. The defence mm-hmm. were brilliant. And the defence argued, and they had lots of experts saying that Strickland is so incredibly bitter... It can be detected in one part strychnine and 70,000 parts water. The defence argue that any person that would have just taken the slightest sip of strychnine under the guise of being medicine, if, if she's in bed, which is the most plausible location where she died... She would have noticed straight away. Is what she would saying, have noticed right? straight away. And... What happens with strychnine is that when you pour it into a cup of water, 
it does not mix with the water. It sits on top exactly like talcum powder. Oh. And then they so got you, into... Yep. Right. So, so you would probably have to put it in something like milk to try and hide it, right? Or... No, nothing. Okay. It, it does just doesn't... Um, it just sits there on the water. It sits there on the water. Right. Okay. And... You know, the, the defense brought in experts to say that if you have a glass of strychnine which is floating on top, then when you tilt the glass towards your mouth and you start to take your first sip, what happens is the floating strychnine would go to the back of the glass and stick to the sides. So they, But they made this really, really good argument that they just didn't believe you know, he had poisoned her. They believe that she found the strychnine as a result of finding about her <clears throat> husband's infidelity. She and and of course you've got the suicide note. <clears throat> yeah. Um, took her own life, and then they say, "Well, why did you hide the strychnine? Put her in bed?" And he said, "Because his father-in-law was." was suffering uh, with a few emotional, mental problems and was very vulnerable. He liked his, his in-laws, by all accounts. And he just didn't want to cause the family any more stress yeah. by, by sort of letting them know that their daughter had taken her own life. But the jury didn't buy that. And... You know, it's a very, very interesting case, Paul. It's a case where he was ultimately, and interestingly, it only took three days for the jury to find him guilty. But as the police today, because there are footnotes and they, they, they make a commentary, one wonders whether the fact that Cable was a serving police officer um, influenced their decision to find him guilty of the murder of his wife by means of poisoning in so far as I imagine that you know the, the public do have a certain perception of police and I think it would be very difficult to get a jury to not also bring with them some prejudices which I guess all juries have got. Yeah. So that then you start to ask oneself, is it possible for a police officer to actually get a fair trial? Um, I don't know, but, you know, it's the system we have. Can I ask a question just quickly? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned before, I mean, I said that uh, an autopsy would have been carried out had a... Um, had the coroner, had the doctor done what uh, Cable clearly hoped he would do. No, no um, autopsy. So I guess what I'm curious about is, um, that was there an autopsy? Could there have been an autopsy? <clears throat> they did, they, they, did a, they did a postmortem. They found strychnine inside her. Okay. But then, of course, that's, that's, yes, that's clearly the fact. But then, of course, uh, Cable says she took it herself. The yep. prosecution say, you gave it to her. But... Mm-hmm. In relation to being, this is interesting, 
Cable wanted yeah. and requested on the night. He said to the doctor... Wait, on the night that the doctor came and found the body yes, with him? Yes, he said yeah. that his wife wanted to be cremated. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. So... So they knew that... He knew that if they were cremated... Yeah, you can't find You can't evidence. find anything. But then they found out from the... From the Cable's mother-in-law, the mother yeah. of the deceased, that she, throughout an, her entire adult life, mm-hmm. had always maintained she never wanted to be cremated. She wanted to be buried. She felt cremation was too final. And Cable had said to the doctor and to everyone all on Sunday that night that it was his wife's wishes to be cremated. Why would you be saying that on the night you're trying to hide a poisoning unless you are desperately trying to hide a poisoning? I know, it's just, look... It's, it seems, honestly, now that we've got everything sitting here in front of us, it seems like he was kind of a bonehead in terms of the execution of this. I mean, mm. literally asking people, going, hey, so what effects does strychnine have on the human body? Interesting. And then trying to seed... I mean, it all seems... Listeners, I'm sure you're agreeing with us now. It does seem like Cable was kind of setting himself up for failure here. I mean, police officer or no, it seems pretty obvious. So he was found guilty. Yeah. Mm. Sentenced to death. Yep. Okay. The death death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. Okay. I've got no idea what happened to his kids, but if he had been a, a lot smarter, yeah, he would have simply poisoned his wife in the kitchen mm-hmm. stayed the kitchen. in the kitchen stayed there yep. she would have collapsed on the floor mm-hmm. and he should have left the glass and the strychnine yep and maybe the note although that's a bit <clears throat> it's odd um and left everything as as was in terms of the scene not getting his wife back into bed not hiding the strychnine Mm-hmm. And not hiding the note under a book, and then the police lift the book up, and he feigns shock. And actually, what happened was when he he read the note, the police hadn't read that note. Yeah. The police moved the book. He reads the note, then he breaks down, wailing and crying, and just oh no, that's I, oh, this is so terrible. It was so it was amateur theatre. Yeah, it's very, very clumsy Agatha Christie style shit. It's and he was a liar, that... and he lied. He lied. He, every single person that he spoke to, yeah, got got a different guess, version. Yeah, I guess what I'm what I'm picking up here is if you are going to murder somebody, fucking think it through in a way that is clear and reasoned, and don't plant because it seems like everybody came forward later and went, yeah, he walked up to me and was like, hey, what does poison do to the body? Yeah, uh, hey, could you write these suicide notes so I can have... Everything seems so clumsy. Mm. He's clearly trying to say... He's trying to plant... He's, he's Bless him. He's trying to plan things ahead. He's trying to build a story so that when the time comes, they find a suicide note, the poison... He's trying to get excuses in place, but he only half asses it. So it feels like... Cable may have um, kind of hung himself out to dry. Ironically, this is a mm. pretty a pretty open and shut case, as far as I'm concerned. I but agree. also, how interesting having this take place in the 40s. I mean, this is oh, this is it. What an interesting story, Dad. Mm. When you told me that you had a um, 
when you said it was called the cable murder case, I went, okay, so somebody was murdered with a cable. And then you said you had an interesting story about a young police officer. I thought, oh, a police officer who catches a killer. I didn't think he was going to be the killer. Uh, I, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this. This has been a really strange step back into Australian true crime history. I don't think this is... Where did you... Is this from the police journal? From the Australian mm, police early, journal? Early, early. Uh, wow. It's a restricted, com, uh, you know... Yeah. Uh, what's the word? God. Publication. Yeah, yeah. No, we've... We'll, we've Dad has dipped into his um, uh, membership to the police journal before, and it's always really interesting uh, having these stories relayed. I mean, what a fantastic glimpse into a mm. uh, era. And not just that, also interesting to know that at one point you could have snagged some pretty great real estate for pretty cheap in that part mm. of the world. Um, mm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was the cable murder case, folks. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you are planning a murder, please don't pull a cable. Plan it properly. Just fucking, just cr- cross your T's and dot your eyes, folks. It's it's not hard. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening to another very strange episode of Loose Units the Shadow Files. It's been an absolute treat hanging out with you all again. Uh, and we'll be back later this week because it turns out there have been quite a few developments, Dad, and I think you'll agree, in the world of true crime in Melbourne mm. over the past couple of days. So this this Friday, you'll be able to hear Dad and I catching up and sort of trying to figure out some of the latest and frankly kind of horrifying developments in uh, some cases that have been going on in Melbourne over the past couple of days. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and we will see you very, very soon for Loose Units, Loose Ends. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.